Hello, welcome to our class on 1st and 2nd Peter. My name is Bob Lawrence, one of the Bible class teachers here at the Anchorage Church of Christ, and I'm glad you've chosen to join us. This week, we transition to this letter of 2nd Peter. You'll find 2nd Peter at the end of your New Testament. It's a very short book, only three chapters long. Uh, but if you have a Bible, take time now to turn there to the book of 2nd Peter. The whole uh, purpose of 2 Peter, and the reason that Peter wrote this letter, was as a reminder. Peter knew that his life was coming to an end, that this may be the last communication that he has with a group of people that he cares about, and he, he picks up the pen one last time to write a reminder that was meant not just for people in the first century, but also for you. A reminder that you are being prepared to partake of a divine nature. In other words, you are being prepared to be one of God's children. Now think about that for a minute. If you think of what it means to be a perfect person, if a person was to be made into someone who is exactly right, in other words, they were right not only in what they do, but also right in who they are, and they had the character of a person who was perfectly, perfectly just and perfectly good, and perfectly happy. What, what would be the characteristics of that type of person? When you think of a person uh, as being just right, if you were to think of the perfect human being, someone who was exactly right, what are seven or eight characteristics that come to mind of that kind of person? What characteristics would you pick? Well, in the coming few weeks, we'll get to see the characteristics that Peter brings out. And he says, these are the characteristics that you are developing. And these are the qualities that are being developed in you as a person who is being remade to look like one of God's children. Well, we'll get there in the next couple of weeks. But for this week, I'd like to give just a broad overview of this letter of Second Peter and then hand you the letter and let you hear Peter present the message that is found here in this letter. Now, the letter of 2 Peter is written by the Apostle Peter, or at least he's the primary one who penned the letter. There may have been help from others and scholars debate about who was the primary author, but the, author, the letter itself uh, says that it was written by Peter, and many of the things that are said in the letter are clearly from the Apostle. And we're told that it's at the end of his life. Now, you remember we're introduced to Peter the apostle, much earlier in his life. It would have been decades, maybe three or four decades earlier, when Peter, as a fisherman, is on the shores of Galilee. And do you remember the very first thing that Peter ever said to Jesus? Peter was a fisherman. He had fished all night long. They were pulling up to the shore, and Jesus was teaching a group of people. And he basically borrowed Peter's boat in order to teach people. And after he finished teaching the people, he turned to Peter and he said, Peter, put out again and let's go fishing. And Peter, the very first thing recorded that Peter ever said to Jesus was, we fished all night long and we haven't caught anything. <laughs> in other words, the very first statement that Peter ever makes to Jesus is a statement of doubt. But Peter follows that up by saying, because you say so, we'll go fishing. And so Peter does. 
and they cast out their net and no sooner has the net hit the water than there's this flurry of fish and the net is filled with fish so much that we're told the nets begin to break. They're pulling the boat over. They had to call over James and John, their fishing partners, just to keep the, the boat from sinking and they pull this back to shore. And then there's this scene of Peter, knee deep in fish, realizes what has just happened and he sees Jesus and he falls on his knees before Jesus and he says, go away from me. I am a sinful man. And do you know what Jesus says to Peter? He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And that's exactly what Peter learned to do. Over the next three years, he follows Jesus. And after Jesus, there before all of them, after uh, uh, listening to Jesus teach for those three years and being an eyewitness of the things that Jesus did, Peter saw Jesus uh, raise Lazarus from the dead. He saw Jesus put mud on the man's eyes and restore sight. Peter was there and saw as Jesus made bread for thousands of people. Uh, He was there when Jesus walked on water. Peter's, in fact, the one who actually stood on that water and at least for a few steps was able to walk towards Jesus on the water. Peter saw all this and he was a witness to the, the death of Jesus. He was there. He saw it happen. He was there uh, a- after the burial. And remember, Peter was one of the first people to run to the tomb when they found out the tomb was empty. And he was there to see the empty tomb. And then he saw Jesus raised from the dead. And it was at the end of all of those events that we see Jesus having raised from the dead, walking with Peter or spending time with Peter, again, on that same shore where Peter first was called to follow Jesus. Jesus is again with Peter there. And Jesus says to him, you read this at the end of the book of John, where Jesus tells Peter, you are now going to be a shepherd for these people. I've taught you how to catch men. Now you will be their shepherd. And so he tells Peter, you are now going to feed my lambs. You are going to tend to my sheep. You are going to feed my sheep. And the very last thing that is recorded there that Jesus, uh, that Peter says back to Jesus is, uh, I love you. Remember, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And the last thing Peter says back is, yes, Lord, you know I'm your friend. And Jesus says, now you be the shepherd. You feed, you feed my sheep. And that's exactly what Peter does. So from that point forward, we see how Peter begins to shepherd all these people that are caught in this net that God has sent to catch all the people that are to be his, his children. And Peter is the one who gives them the sermon on the day of Pentecost. You remember 3,000 people become Christians that day. Peter's the one who is sent to Cornelius. He's the one who shepherds the very first Gentiles who become followers of Christ. Uh, Peter is the one who actually shepherds Paul. And we'll see at different points in their life where Peter and Paul end up coming back together. And even in this letter, as you read it today, you're going to see how Peter uh, not only refers to things that Paul has said, he refers to Paul himself. And we see uh, a hint of what most people think is true at this point. Peter is in Rome, and, and so is Paul. And they are both there towards the end of their life under Emperor Nero, and they can see the end coming for them, at least in terms of their current life. But it's not the end. They recognize that one day God is going to come back and make the whole world right again. And so Peter, as this shepherd, writes First Peter, which we studied over the last several weeks, to a group of churches over what is modern-day Turkey. And he reminds them, no matter how bad it gets, don't give up. This is not the end. 
the whole world will be made right again and you get to be a part of that. So don't give up. You continue to serve in your community as a good citizen. You serve as a good employee. You serve as a husband or a wife. You serve as, as a member of this family of God who are Christians. You continue to serve and don't, don't give up because God is making the whole world right again. And now when we turn the page to 2 Peter, we find that Peter is writing another letter to that same group of people. In fact, in this letter, Peter will say, this is my second letter to you, meaning it's a letter that's written to those same churches that were, remember, in modern-day Turkey, but you circle around in ancient Turkey, it was different regions, the region of uh, Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and then around to Asia and Bithynia. And Peter uh, says to each of those churches, this is my second letter to you, and I'm writing this second letter as a reminder. And so that's what brings us to 2 Peter, where Peter, writing again as a shepherd to these Christians who are now facing very difficult times to tell them, this is not the end. And he writes them a reminder to say, you are being made and fashioned to partake in the divine nature. And when you run into that line in this book, what should come to mind is this idea that God is making you to be like his son, Jesus. He's making the whole world right again. And that's exactly what the prophets had said years ago, uh, when long before Jesus, when uh, they were teaching about the coming of the Messiah and how God one day would return to the earth and he would destroy everything that is evil by fire. And then he would remake things into a new heaven and new earth. And you read that in Isaiah 65 and 66, at least as one example. And Peter here will refer to what the prophets have been saying all along. But it was not just the prophets. The same message was given by Jesus. When, when he came as the incarnate word of God, Jesus says that God will one day return. And when he does, it will be to make the world right again, to make everything new. And there will be a new what Jesus uses this term, kingdom. In that day and time, they might have said he is making a, a new empire. Or today we would say a new sovereign nation uh, is what God is, is making. And so the prophets had mentioned this. Jesus mentions this. And then, and then the apostles do it as well. In their writings, Paul will say that we are being made into uh, a new creation. And and we are even predestined for this. Paul says in, in Romans uh, chapter 8 that we are being predestined or we were predestined, meaning God had thought ahead of time about you and you are being predestined to be conformed to the image of one of his children. You are being conformed to the image of his son. And Peter brings us back to that very idea. And he says, just as you've heard from the prophets, just as you heard from Jesus, just as you've heard from the apostles, you are made to partake in the divine nature. And, and there in chapter 1, he's going to give you the seven qualities that's added to your faith. And what you're reading there are the qualities of a person who is being made perfect. And uh, we'll go over those qualities more next week. But before you get there, let me give you just a brief outline of what you're going to find in this book. The book opens, as I said, 
with basically an introduction where Peter gives us a charge. And in that charge, he says, I want to remind you that you, those of you whose past sins have been forgiven, you are being made to partake in this divine nature. And then he tells us what the qualities are of someone uh, taking part in that divine nature. Next week, we'll dive into each of those seven qualities that he talks about that we add to our faith. So let's turn to this book of 2 Peter and read the book and allow Peter to teach us. Uh, reading the letter as it was meant to be read, starting with chapter 1 and reading through chapter 3. It won't take you long to read this letter. It's only three chapters. It will only take you a few minutes. But you'll find this is one of the most dense books in all the New Testament because every line is worth stopping and pondering and thinking about. And there will be words that will uh, send you to the dictionary or phrases that will give you time to ponder. What, what, is this, what does this really mean that Peter is teaching? So this week, let me just give you a brief outline of the letter of 2 Peter so that as you read, the outline itself will serve sort of like hooks that you can hang some of these words and phrases and concepts on. The letter of 2 Peter is basically designed in, in four different sections. There's an introduction, and then there are three skeptical questions that Peter answers. And then maybe a fifth section, which would be the conclusion at the end. The letter begins with section one, where Peter basically gives us a charge. And he says, for you whose past sins are forgiven, here's your charge. You are being made to partake in the divine nature. It's a way of saying you are being made to be like one of God's children. And then he lists the qualities of someone who is being made right again. We'll go over those qualities more next week. But then Peter follows that by briefly saying, I'm about to die, just as Jesus said I would. But before I go, I want to give you this final reminder. And then he raises three skeptical questions. And these are the questions that any skeptic would have asked there at the time this letter was written in the first century. And they're still the questions people probably ask today. And the first question that he answers is the question, what if all this was made up? In other words, as Peter has taught us, that it was the prophets, followed by Jesus, followed by the apostles, who all talk about how God is going to destroy evil and remake the heavens and a new earth. And, and Peter says, this is the message. It's the drumbeat you read through all of Scripture. And then Peter answers this question, what if, what if it's all made up? What if it's not true? Now, I'm going to let you read Peter's answer to that question, but that's his first question. And that's, that question is answered in chapter 1. Now, if you turn to chapter 2, you'll see he answers a second question. And that question is, what if following Jesus means that I have to give up on the great pleasures of life? What if following Christ is not what leads to happiness? What if that's sort of what we do on the side? But does it mean that I have to give up on the things that really give me pleasure or cause happiness? And there Peter is probably making a loose reference to the Epicureans, who even in that period of time said the real goal in life is to find the maximum pleasure at the maximum intensity for the maximum number of people. And you can imagine those, those individuals being in the churches and even teaching in some of the churches 
and them trying to answer this question. Does following Jesus mean that I give up on the maximum pleasure at the maximum intensity for the maximum number of people? Do I have to give that up? And specifically, Peter answers the charge made in the first century that to give up or to follow Christ means that you give up on the pleasures of sex or of making money. And he'll address adultery and greed. So watch for his answer to this question. Does following Christ mean that you have to give up on the pleasures of life? And he's going to answer that question in chapter 2. And then we turn to chapter 3 where he raises the final question, and that is, if, if God is really coming back to destroy evil in the world and make the world right again and restore uh, the new heavens and making a new earth, if he's really going to do that, why is it taking so long? Now, remember, Peter's writing this about three, maybe four decades after Jesus said, I'm coming back. And so Peter's answering this question just a few decades afterwards. And so people are already asking at that period of time, how long does it take? Now, notice as you read Peter's answer to that in chapter 3, that Peter's answer seems in this eerie way to include you who may ask that same question, not decades later, but centuries later, and even 2,000 years later, asking how long does it take before God is going to come and make the world right again? And it maybe even will answer the question, why? What is it that, that causes God to take so long to come back and make things right again? And so Peter's going to answer that question in chapter 3. So there are those three questions. Question in chapter 1, uh, what if all this is made up? The question he answers in chapter 2, does following Christ mean that I have to give up on the pleasures of this world? And then the question in chapter 3, which is, uh, why does it take God so long to make the world right again? And then after getting to the end of all of those questions, as you read through Peter's answer to those questions, you come to his final conclusion. So here's the, the assignment for this week, is to take time here at the end of class to read this letter as if you were one of those Christians sitting in a room somewhere in uh, ancient Asia or Bithynia or Galatia or Cappadocia or one of those ancient churches. <clears throat> and for the first time, this letter is unrolled and is read. For you. Read that letter as it was meant to be read uh, in the beginning. And as you read, see if you can't catch Peter's answer to those three main questions. And at the very first, look for those qualities that Peter says uh, you are being made to acquire as you uh, choose to follow Christ. And then as you, as you hear those qualities and you hear Peter's answer to those questions, I bet his conclusion will end up meaning all the more to you when he concludes with these two verses. At the very end of Second Peter chapter 3, he says, You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice how Peter ends there by saying, you grow in the grace and the knowledge, not of a subject. He doesn't call you to know more about 
uh, a subject or about a book. He calls you to grow more in the knowledge of a person. And so Peter's final invitation at the end of his life to these churches is this invitation to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because that's exactly the kind of person that you are being remade to be like. And so Peter concludes by saying, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Because Peter knew that his death was not the end nor is it yours. Well, that concludes the introduction to Second Peter. So I'm going to pause, and this week, if you would, again, uh, open up the letter here of Second Peter, and either alone, or if you're in a room with your family, uh, read this letter out loud uh, as a group, and allow the message to wash over you. But take some time at the end to see if you're able to articulate the answer that Peter gives to those three questions. And I'll, I'll put the questions here on the screen at the end so that you can be looking for Peter's answer. But discuss, what is Peter's answer to these three main questions? And then we'll come back next week and talk about the qualities that you see mentioned in chapter 1. I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you, and God bless the reading of His Word.